0: outside, uh, right? <laughs> it's, it's a Sunday, you know, last Sunday the sun's shining, it feels like spring, everybody comes out of the woodwork and then that rain comes, man, it gets us. It's just real tempting to sit there in bed with that coffee and just stay right there. So I know a lot of you, you thought about it, but you still came here anyway, but don't act like you didn't think about it. Uh, but I, I'm excited to see uh, those of you who came today, <laughs> despite the rain. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I say that as if you know, I don't have those same thoughts, right? I'm human, too, and I get there cozy on a Sunday morning. And I'm like, ah, oh, the rain sounds so good. Did you hear the, the thunder this morning? I don't know if, it, if anybody noticed that there was, like, lightning and thunder. Uh, that was, like, at uh, 4.35 o'clock this morning. That was, came out of nowhere, so I don't know how, how many of you get up that early. but Okay, well, we are in Mark chapter 4, starting a new, new chapter, and we're going to take the first 20 verses. This is the first parable that we've studied since we've been in the Gospel of Mark. And this is probably one of the most known parables of Jesus. It's packed with truth, so much for us to consider. But it's really important, though, to put this parable within the context that it lies, right? Context, context, context. I'm always preaching that from the pulpit. What's been going on? Well, Jesus has been preaching the Gospel. His ministry has been taking off. His popularity has gone through the roof. He's he's primarily traveling in northern Israel, in the region known as Galilee, and he's the the he's been living at Peter's house. Kind that's kind of the base of operation there in Capernaum, but everywhere Jesus goes, you got tens of thousands of people showing up to hopefully come into contact and and experience one of these miracles. They're coming to to. Be healed. They're coming to bring a relative to be healed. They're traveling, as Mark mentioned, all the way from southern, the deep south, uh, of Israel, to the the eastern regions, the western regions, the northern regions. They're coming from everywhere. And so, when Jesus leaves the house, I mean, the crowds just start forming there all around him. But isn't it interesting? Maybe you you, uh, you we think of these. These uh, amazing moments of Jesus preaching and all these crowds surrounding him and things, and just as he goes along, it must have been an amazing sight. But why why didn't everyone become a believer? Why, Why did not everyone who came into contact with Jesus, who heard him preach, who witnessed the miracle, why did they all not become believers? You would think that everybody who witnessed this would be a believer of Jesus and that would admit that he is the he's the messiah they've seen the signs it's it's validated his message and and everything would just click and everybody would be a believer but that's not what happens is it as a matter of fact what we've been studying in Mark leading up to this parable is is that there are pockets of people that especially don't believe there there are pockets of people that are even outwardly against and openly against Jesus. They are anti-Jesus. Namely, we got the Pharisees who are going around investigating every word that he says, investigating every miracle that he does. And they're going around and and telling people that this guy is possessed by Beelzebub, right? Possessed by Satan himself. So they're they're trashing him and and trying to to get people to not buy into anything Jesus is doing. We got the Herodians, the the aristocrats there up uh, in, in northern Israel, the, the elites that are now starting to pay attention to what Jesus is doing, and they are partnering together with the Pharisees, plotting to kill Jesus. And then you got, you know, what, uh, what really pops in, in chapter 3 is that his own family is like, hey, you sure you want to go this way, Jesus? Are, are you out of your mind? This is getting dangerous. Everybody's paying attention to you, and you don't want the attention from some of these people uh, you don't want the attention that they're giving you. This is, this is trouble. And so it's incredible, though, that everybody didn't believe. So why not? Why do, why do if 100 people hear the gospel message, why, why do 50 of them believe and 50 of them don't? You know, of all the people that, that are listening to the gospel message this morning all around the globe, how is it that some people hear that gospel message and believe and other people hear that gospel message and don't believe. We'd like to think if everybody came into contact with Jesus in those days that they would all be believers. But that's not what happened in scripture. And we'd like to think that today if people would hear the gospel message just right. If it was presented to them with precision. If we had them in just the right experience, in just the right church, with just the right sermon, and just the right atmosphere, everybody would become a Christian, wouldn't they? Well... No, everybody wouldn't be a Christian. Just like then, not everybody who heard believed. The same is true now. Not everybody who hears believes. And so this parable helps us to understand why that is. This parable teaches us why some people hear and believe and why some people don't. And I think it serves two purposes it helps us to see that in a way that helps us sleep at night, especially as pastors who present the gospel week in and week out. We can sleep at night knowing God is sovereign over these things. But two, it's there so that we can be convicted. So that the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, can convict us as to how we are listening to the gospel. So that's what I want to encourage and invite you to do today as we read through this parable. I want you to ask yourself convicting questions. How am I receiving the gospel? Well, let's jump in. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to get started. Here's the setting. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it at, on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Okay, so we remember that contingency plan that was put in place a couple of weeks ago. We saw that Peter and Jesus, right, they, they decided to get a boat Hey, when we teach these mass crowds of tens of thousands of people, let's, let's get a little order to this. Because and, 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 there's a danger of being crushed by tens of thousands of people trying to get to Jesus. So let's, let's preach on the shoreline. Let's engage this crowd on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And let's have a boat there. Just in case this crowd presses in on us so hard and so fast, we can get in the boat and be safe. And so now we see that Jesus is actually in the boat preaching. And so this tells us that this crowd must have been especially massive at this point in time. Like, like this, is, this is a really big day for the ministry. And a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork to hear Jesus preach. And so, again, this helps, helps him stay alive and not be crushed by the masses. But, two, it helps to keep everybody in front of him. It helps to keep everybody orderly in a way that he can stand on this boat and address The crowd, he must have had to project his voice so much uh, in those moments. And here is what he teaches them. Let's continue in verses 2 through 9. It says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil and when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced good grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what is a parable? Well, a parable is a, a really quick, simple story to, to explain a big truth. Okay, and so Jesus taught in parables repeatedly. There are several parables that, that you can study in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so just a quick story to teach a big truth. So here's my, here's my tip uh, to help everyone understand parables better. When you are studying a parable, the, the most obvious truth, that is the point of the whole parable. Sometimes we, we read these parables and we dissect them and we, and we look at, at them from 20 different angles. And then we, we start to draw all sorts of crazy conclusions that have nothing to do with what's, what's, what's being taught. Um, so whenever you're reading a parable, they are a quick and simple short story to teach a big truth. And that's usually one big truth. One, one quote that I, I love, uh, there's an author named J.C. Ryle who's dead a long time ago, uh, but he said it this way. He said, if you squeeze a parable too hard, you'll get blood and not milk. Uh, if you're thinking about a parable too hard, it can be counterproductive is, is what he's trying to say. So this parable is just really simple. Really simple. It's an agrarian story here. It's about farming, and everybody would relate to that and understand planting uh, a field to have crops. And so here's the image. When they read, a sower went out to sow. In their minds, in that time, immediately, they think of a farmer who would have a satchel around around his neck. And in that satchel would be a bunch of seeds, and he would be walking along, and he would be grabbing handfuls of seed and spreading them out by hand in the field. That's the image that comes to their mind. And so there are four soils in which this, uh, on which the seed lands on. The first soil is this, some seed fell on the path, right? There were bad consequences for that, right? It got devoured by the birds, never, never had a chance. Some of that seed fell on rocky ground, that's the second soil that it mentions. There's no depth there, it causes it to spring up quickly. But then when the sun comes out, it gets scorched. And number three, there's also bad consequences to this soil. Uh, The third soil mentioned is the soil full of thorns, a thicket there. And so the seed falls into the thicket, and there's uh, more bad consequences. It gets choked out. doesn't produce any grain at all. And then the fourth soil is the good soil. That's the soil you want to be, and it has amazing consequences, right? It produced grain. But did you see how much? 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And so this is the, the maximum harvest possible. That's what that means. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Because this is about hearing. So when you break this down really easy, the sower is, is the preacher. Like what Jesus is doing. He's taking the gospel into the world. He's, he's preaching. And so the sower is the preacher, the seed is the gospel message. He's taking that gospel and he's spreading it everywhere that he goes as he travels throughout Israel. And the soiled in represents the ears of the people who are listening to this gospel message. And there are four different types of people listening. It's that simple. It's that simple. And again, it helps us to understand why the gospel takes root in the lives of some people, and it doesn't take root in the lives of others. And so, again, if you squeeze, you're squeezing this parable too hard if you start focusing on the sower. You're squeezing it too hard. But yet a lot of people do. They'll, think, they'll start to dissect this parable in a way that's unhealthy. They'll start to think, like, wait, well, man, it, the sower needs to pay attention. The sower needs to, to pay attention and not throw the seed on the path. Why would you throw seed into the thorns or onto the rocky soil? That's counterproductive. Don't throw the seed where it won't succeed. <laughs> oh man, little dad joke pun there for you. You're wasting the seed, sower. It's the sower's fault. And so if you focus on the sower and you start coming to these conclusions, again, that's an unhealthy that's not the point of the story. That's not you can you can make those arguments all day long, but this is you're overcomplicating. A parable, this is a simple story meant to teach us a big truth and an obvious truth. You also begin to squeeze this parable way too hard if you start focusing on that seed. That seed represents the the gospel message, right? But yet, functionally, I think that's what a, a lot of pastors and a lot of ministries, churches do. They focus on the seed and how it can succeed in any environment on any soil. Man, you just need to alter the seed. And don't we have seeds that succeed almost anywhere, right? We have seeds that grow on, in almost, uh, on a, almost any terrain with any weather. I mean, we've got all these synthetic seeds now and, and genetically modified seeds or whatever. And the, I mean, you can grow grass on concrete now. So you just need to change the seed. So again, if you start walking down these roads and dissecting a parable in ways that it wasn't meant to, you can come to all sorts of weird conclusions. And this will happen with any parable that you're reading. Of course, isn't it especially tragic if you start to change this parable with regard to the seed, knowing that the seed represents the gospel message? Are you kidding me? You can't alter the gospel message. I mean, in Scripture, it explicitly prohibits that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3-4, for example, says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So, again, we don't want to do this. We don't ever want to change the seed. You know, I mean, how, how a sower throws down the seed, not the point of the story. And we don't want to change the, the, the message. But yet, I, again, I mention this because I think functionally a lot of churches are all focused on, on how we're throwing the seed down and how we can tweak that seed. To where it can grow anywhere, or seemingly grow anywhere, right? It's the attractional church model that we see. Some churches are just so hyper-focused on growth. We got grow. 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 to grow. We got to grow. We got to grow. We got to grow. We got to. What do we got to do to grow? What do we got to do to get more people in here? Grow, 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 grow. Let's do anything we can. Let's let's change the methods. Let's let's change how we're doing this. Let's let's make sure that we're throwing seed with with precision, and, and we got to get as many people in here as we possibly can. We got to look cool while we do it. So you know, hurry up! Let's let's get the pastor a thousand dollar gift card to the buckle, so he can look as cool as possible. And if I walked into the buckle with a thousand dollar gift card, first of all, that'd only get me like one or two outfits. But second of all, that's not enough money to make me look cool. So we don't need to walk down that road. Hurry up! Well, we got to change the music. We got we got to make sure we got the biggest band, and we gotta we gotta have the most emotional music possible to to you know pluck people's heartstrings. You know, and people love soft rock and we got to have cold play worship or something so everybody really gets into it you know and and yeah you're 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 trying way too hard you know people think well hey if you want to if you really want to have a church that grows you got to tweak that message you got to tweak the message don't say anything offensive don't talk about hell and wrath, even though Jesus talked about those things all the time. You have to avoid so many passages of scripture when you do that. Don't say anything about sexual immorality, even though Jesus said the word for sexual immorality, like more than any other subject that he preached about. But don't talk about those things. It's going to make people uncomfortable. You've got to change the seed. If you, if you preach those things, it's not going to grow on so many of these different types of soil Don't ever call anyone a heretic. The only form of heresy today for a lot of churches is saying that there's heresy, right? Don't tell anyone they're wrong, because that makes you wrong, as hypocritical as that is. But the emphasis in this parable is not the sower. The emphasis of this parable is not the seed. If you and I want to Be convicted this morning. If you and I want to reflect on our own lives in a profitable way and in the way this parable was meant to cause us to reflect, we're going to focus on the soils because that is what Jesus focuses on. The sower's just doing his thing. The seed's doing their thing. But the soils, we get a lot more information about the soils. And it it helps to explain to us why not everyone believes. Verses 10 through 12. Jesus throws this in here before he gets into an in-depth explanation of this parable. It says, and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn And be forgiven. Now, there's a lot that's going on there. Did you notice the indentations? You hear me say this all the time when you're reading along in a gospel or anywhere in the, the, especially in the New Testament. You see these indentations. That means something's being quoted from the Old Testament, and that happens all the time. And so Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter six, and, and in Isaiah chapter six, we have this prophetic warning that's taking place, and it's a prophetic warning to Israel. And so, Jesus, to oversimplify and to kind of boil down what he's saying here to his 12 disciples and those asking him more about this parable, he's in the same way that a bunch of people can hear the gospel, but a few people will get it. In the same way, when he talks in parables, a bunch of people will understand it, a bunch of people won't. And so, he's even describing these parables. Like a prophetic warning from the Old Testament. My parables, the way that I teach, they function like an Old Testament prophetic warning. Those on the outside, they won't get it. This will be like a bunch of riddles and they won't really think about it in depth. They won't get the point of it. It's not going to matter to them. Those on the inside, those who believe, this will have a profound impact on what they think. This will have a profound impact on how they live and how they view themselves and view God. And so, you want a profit? You need to be on the inside. You got to do a work. Let's keep going here. This is one of those special parables in which it leaves no doubt as to what it's about. Because we get uh, a, a very detailed description from Jesus to his disciples. Here's what this parable means. And so, if you misinterpret this parable, you literally stopped reading. Because Jesus goes into great detail here to tell them exactly what it means. In verse 13, we'll read through 20. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones uh, along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they heard the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation and persecution arises, on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So again, I want to invite you to welcome conviction. Welcome conviction into your heart right now. When you read about these different soils, the worst thing you can do is read a description of one of these soils and say, yep, I know someone just like that. Oh, ah, yeah, 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 You know, that's, that's our inclination. Obviously, that is probably true. We can probably, we probably can recognize how this has unfolded in the lives of other people. But if you want to invite conviction into your life this morning, think about your ears. Do your ears and how you hear the gospel and how you tune into God's word. Which one of these soils convicts you the most? Let's look at soil number one. This soil is the soil, or this soil is is where the seed is thrown on the path or the road. The birds come and immediately devour it. I, I'm, I am a terrible farmer. I grew up working on several different farms, and I have tried gardens. I'm going to try again this year, and I know it will be terrible, but I like it. I'm at the age where. Gardening fascinates me, and I'm, I am I kind of like it, but I'm terrible at it. And so last year at this exact time, uh, my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday, and so I said, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to plant a garden, so uh, I need, what's the easiest thing I can grow? I just need something that's like dummy proof, and I, I remember I was reading gardening blogs because, again, that's where I'm at in life, and I'm reading about sunflowers. And it was just kind of funny this, this article struck me as, as humorous because it was like any idiot can grow a sunflower. These these seeds, you talk about a seed that can grow in any terrain. Like you can take this sunflower and plant it anywhere and it'll grow. Like you would have to be an idiot not to succeed planting a sunflower. So I'm like, that's what I need. I need sunflower seeds, Mom, that I can plant in the ground. And I want the biggest sunflower in the world. And I see the mammoth sunflowers. They grow 12 to 16 feet tall, and you can grow them anywhere. My mom got me 120 of these bad boys. I get it in the mail, and I'm excited. That's, that's the birthday presents I get excited about. That's where I'm at in life, again. And so I, I get out there, and I, I decide I'm going to plant like 10 at a time. And so that way, all year long, like every week and a half or two weeks, I'd have a different row of sunflowers popping up. And I planted the first 10 there, and it just seemed like within days, they were four inches off the ground. I mean, within a week. It's just incredible how fast a sunflower can get up out of the ground and start growing. I was so impressed. And I'm just like, wow, I am a farmer, finally. And I, I, I go out there one morning, every single morning with my coffee before I take the kids to school. And I just peek around the corner where I planted along the fence line to check on my sunflower seeds. And sure enough, man, they were chewed down to the dirt. I was like, dang, what got it? Okay, what? Well, I went out there and I planted 20 more. And a week later, they're four inches off the ground. And sure enough, a few days after that, I come out there with my coffee. They're chewed down to the dirt. And I see rabbits running away. I plant 40 of them after that. And every time, every stinking time, (laughs) a week later, I would go out there and it would be chewed down to the dirt and an animal would be scurrying away. I I did this 120 times. (laughs) I was finally down to my last seed, and I got really protective of it, and I boxed it in and trying to put it in a place where the animals wouldn't get near it, and it got three feet off the ground. I have done it. It's happening. This thing's going to get 16 feet tall. It's incredible. And I come home with the entire family after church one day. The first thing I do is look across my yard where this sunflower is sprouting up. And like this satanic fawn is standing next to the sunflower seed or the sunflower that's three foot tall. And I get out of my car and I'm like, don't you dare. It's like 50 yards away. I just start running at the fawn. He bites it in half and hits and, and runs into the woods. My whole family witnessed it. I mean, it it was awful. It was like he looked me right in the eye. He was making eye contact with me as he bit it in half and ran into the woods, and I ran after it to kill it but could not catch it. It just seems like sometimes, no matter what you do, there are forces working against you, no matter how hard you try. No matter how stubborn you are, no matter how many attempts there are, there are forces working against you and you cannot overcome it. You know, when I think about this soil uh, along the path, it represents a hardened heart. And we have to understand that there are forces working against us when it comes to us in the gospel message. First of all, we have a fallen, sinful nature. Second of all, Satan is real and he is actively working against the proclamation of the gospel. And so those are realities that we have to keep in mind as we consider how we listen to the gospel. So this morning you may think, you know what? In some ways I think this soil, it reflects how I hear the gospel. It just seems to bounce right off of me. It just seems like I hear it and immediately it goes away. I come here out of routine and out of respect but the gospel never really takes any root. It just seems like as soon as it falls on my ears, I walk out of here and I don't think about it anymore. I want you to consider two things. One, I think you should ask God, if that feels like you, you should ask God to have ears to hear. You should ask God, the Holy Spirit, to do a cultivating work in your heart to break up the hardened heart that you may have. And number two... Is that you need to acknowledge and to come to terms with the fact that, again, Satan is against you hearing the gospel. So you know when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he teaches them to pray in such a way that acknowledges both of these things. So when you pray, you should always be praying about these things. He says, as a part of the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. He says, when you pray, here's how you ought to pray. You need to pray in a way that acknowledges your sinful and fallen nature. Lord, lead me not into temptation. When we pray like that, we are we are acknowledging the fact that if we travel in life towards a direction that will land us into a, a place that is really tempting for us to sin, we know we're going to sin. We don't trust ourselves. We know. When we're saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, God, I am so certain that if I end up in this Position in which I'm going to be tempted to sin. I just know I'll give into it. Please play a role in my life in such a way that you would not lead me down those paths. So when we pray, we need to prayerfully consider our sinful and fallen nature and ask God to intervene and deliver us from the evil one. Pray for deliverance from Satan's work in and around your life. So that's my two suggestions for soil number one. If that resonates with you soil number two is the rocky soil this is the soil that has no root it can't get down into the dirt so it sprouts up really quick it's really great and then it gets scorched it doesn't last right and so a lot of times in life we make these emotional decisions right and and within the Christian r- realm this is one of my this is one of my biggest frustrations I think one of the One of the injustices that happens within Christianity is a lot of times in the name of let's grow this church, let's build this ministry, let's grow, 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 we got to get more people, more people, more people. There's such an emphasis on these things that we begin to implement tactics that play on people's emotions. And so I think the church is really guilty of cultivating rocky soil. Because what happens is, I mean, if I had a dime for every time I saw someone make a, a, a shallow... You know, emotional commitment to Christ. I, I, we could all go out to lunch today on me. I, I mean, it, it happens. And, and I've, what I've learned in ministry is that, that it's really doable. I think that's that's what's convicting to me. It's really doable to play on people's emotions. Again, like I, I said that, you know, half-heartedly and joking earlier, but we really do use all of these tactics sometimes in a way that is unhealthy, we gotta give everybody just the right experience, just the right, we just the right sermon, just the right uh, outfits, and just the right, you know, everything. And, and then maybe they gotta believe. And, and so when we get caught up in that frame of mind, as I know I have in ministry in 20 years, sometimes you can convince people to make these commitments that aren't real. They've bought into the hype, but they've not bought into Christ. And what happens when that takes place is that eventually these people just fall away, and they do. I mean, you know, if everybody who ever attended the journey and heard the gospel kept coming to the journey, we wouldn't have enough room in here, right? We wouldn't have enough seats. You know, we want to make sure we're genuine in this presentation of the gospel in such a way that we don't just sell Christian hype, but we sell the reality that the gospel is. And so if you worry, let me. If you worry, if you're like, you know what, maybe maybe I am hearing the gospel like rocky soil, and I and I just and I'm just too shallow in, in what I believe. Well, ask yourself these questions: Have you accepted the gospel as presented in the gospel, right? Uh, tons of ministries try to peddle the gospel in a lot of different ways, and they put a lot of different, uh, you know, um, they put emphasis on a lot of different things. But are are you are you buying into the actual gospel that that? says tribulation and persecution isn't a potential thing that's going to happen, but that it's a promised thing. That this is the narrow path. That have you bought into the gospel and you're thinking about following Christ in such a way that you are taking up your cross and following him, right? Taking up a cross, a a, a way to kill someone, right? We're dying to ourselves. Are you buying into the gospel as presented in the gospel, where Jesus says in the world, you will Have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, failure to believe and embrace that this is the narrow path will have you falling away. You're going to be left scorched and you're going to wither away in your faith. But let's look at soil number three. This is the most convicting soil to me. This is the soil that I think all of us, if we're really prayerfully inviting conviction in our life today, it might cut us like a knife. This is the soil that's covered in thorns, the thicket. I mean, so let's be real. Some of, some of you in here haven't heard, heard a word that I said. <laughs> you come to church, and I totally get this because I can't tell you how many years I grew up coming to church, tuning out a sermon. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, I know that every Sunday morning when people gather here, some people don't hear a single thing that's proclaimed. They don't hear a single word that I read. They don't hear a single word that I say. What they are thinking about is that nagging problem in their life. They can't stop focusing on that problem. Some mornings you come in here and you're in the zone and you're ready to learn and you're ready to worship. Other times you come in here like a briar patch. And you can't hear a word that's said. Some of you are at odds with your spouse right now, and you're frustrated, and you're coming in here putting on a smiling face and pretending, but you're really just in a bad mood because you just don't like who you're married to today. (laughs) Some of you have health concerns that have you distracted. Some of you are just hyper-focused on a person in your life for various reasons. There are so many things that are competing for your attention that it's hard. If If we are not intentional with this, this is where we all begin to, 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 to hear like the soil covered in thorns. There is a really cool uh, short story shared in one of the commentaries that I read this week. I just want to read it to you. This commentary writer, um, he, he said, A divided heart, like represented by this soil, is like the heart of a girl to which a young man once proposed. He said, Darling, I... I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the whole world. I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but, man, I love you with all my heart. She thought for a moment. She replied, I love you too with all my heart, but tell me more about Johnny Brown. I I thought it was a great representation of how we often think, right? Oh, yeah, I'm all about the gospel. I'm all about the gospel. I'm all about Jesus. I'm a Christian. I love this way of life. I know it's the narrow path. We know all the things to say. We can recite so many passages of scripture. But when a shiny object goes by, how quickly we are distracted. Jesus, when he would teach to his disciples and things, he would say, hey, just so you know, you can't serve more than one master you can't serve two masters, eventually at the end of the day, you're going to end up serving one and hating the other. And I think this happens to to us so often. It sneaks up on us. And isn't that how like the briar patch grows? You know, I got trails in the woods behind my house and it just seems like I'll go back there and maintain those so the boys can run around and things like that. But then, like, it just like overnight I can walk out there and they're covered in thorns again. It's just like it sneaks up on you. It's just so, they grow so fast and so suddenly that all of a sudden, uh, you know, it, things can just get so distracting in life. It's just what happens in our hearts and minds as we go on through the year. We don't know what kind of distractions are ahead of us. And as we live our life, there are just times in which we spiral into distraction. To where prayer is not even an afterthought, the gospel being lived out and thought about and meditated upon every day just never happens. And we're thinking about a thousand other things, dedicating a thousand more hours to that than we are the actual gospel. But if we routinely think about teachings such as this parable, it can help us. If we routinely think about and ask ourselves hard questions like, Am I hearing like the soil on the path? Am I hearing like the rocky soil? Am I hearing like the, the briar patch soil? If we constantly ask ourselves these questions and think through scripture together, what happens is we begin to cultivate good soil, which is the fourth soil mentioned, a soil that's been maintained. That, that's the soil that's been tilled, that's protected with the scarecrow, the birds go away. The obstacles like rocks and things like that, they've been sifted out and thrown away. The thorns are routinely beaten down and hacked down and, and kept in check. And it's that soil, where, that's where growth happens. I, I, think this, I think this parable, when we just zoom out and think of it in the most simple way possible, it does two remarkable things for us. One, it explains to us why when we take our faith into this world and share the gospel it explains to us why some people hear the gospel and listen and accept it and believe it and why others don't and uh, don't don't change the message don't change the method take the gospel into the world that's the first thing it teaches it makes me think of of that passage in first Corinthians when the Apostle Paul what would he say to people he'd say hey when it comes to the church of Corinth like I planted, Apollos watered it, but God gave the growth. We, as believers, we're just supposed to take the gospel into the world. God handles the growth. Right? We just, we, we just be, we're supposed to be disciplined, we're supposed to be obedient. It's going to grow where it's going to grow. But here's the second thing, this, very simp- this parable, um, a, a way that it functions. It's that if you and I read through this together and think about our own hearts and minds... It causes conviction, and it causes us to answer the question, are we losing our hearing? You know, when we grow old, we inevitably have worse hearing, right? We begin to lose our hearing over time. Well, as I think the same is true as we grow old in our faith. We've been Christians for year after years, years and years and years. Are you losing your hearing in that time, or do you still welcome that conviction Do you still welcome the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart and mind that you would receive the Word of God the way it's supposed to be received with with soil that's ready to be planted and and ready to produce fruit? And so we're going to walk into a time of communion today with that on our mind as we meditate upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, thinking about the righteousness that he provides to us through faith, thinking about the atonement on the cross, as we think about that gospel that saves us, that redeems us, let's make sure that we are hearing it as we take communion. So let's pray. Lord, again, I I thank you for this time together to study the gospel of Mark. Lord, this parable is so incredible and so convicting on so many levels Lord, if if we're being honest with ourselves, we can connect to each one of those soils. Uh, Lord, I just pray that this morning, if we felt that conviction, that that it wouldn't be wasted conviction. If we feel guilty, I pray that we wouldn't waste that guilt. But Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, we would act. That we would repent in the truest sense, Lord, that our minds would truly be changed... And that it would result in a changed life, the way that we think, the way that we see this world, the way that we hear your word, and the way that we take this gospel into your uh, your creation. And so Lord, I pray for this conviction as we go into a time of communion, and it's in your name we pray.